What a wonderful evening of, pra of praise already. Do you feel like we've been in the Lord's house? Amen. And celebrating in baptism. Brooklyn, so excited. This is fantastic. And what a, uh, what a great, uh, great evening. And uh, thank you for joining us as we worship the Lord together tonight. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along and look with me. We're in the book of Deuteronomy tonight. We're going to be in Deuteronomy and Exodus and different places. You'll need your Bible. We're going to look up passages. Not all of them will be printed on the screen tonight, and so we encourage you to follow along. We're doing a series of messages, and we're calling it Foundations. And uh, we want to talk about this study in the Ten Commandments, and that the Ten Commandments is really a foundation for all of us. When God was making a new people, a new nation, he gave them these ten words, these commandments. They became a foundation on, uh, uh, as they understood their identity, but also their, how to, their relationship with God and then how they are to relate to one another. The Ten Commandments, the first part of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, has to deal with our relationship with God. And if that's not right, none of the rest of it will be. And then the second part of the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationship with one another and how to treat and get along with one another. And so they, these commands are so appropriate for us today. Talking about a need to rebuild the foundations morally and spiritually in our own lives, our own families, in our own community, in our own world, then we need to See what these two great truths, these, these commandments are teaching us. They're encapsulated in two sayings of Jesus. Jesus said, the first and greatest commandment is to love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the teaching of the ten. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So we're going to look at these together tonight, and uh, if you have your Bible, look with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 5. Do you have your Bible? Deuteronomy, chapter number 5. Now Moses is with the children of Israel. He's led them out of captivity. They've passed through the Red Sea. He's been guiding them, feeding them, providing for them. They come to a mountain called Sinai or Horeb, and their God, in a powerful way, through His spoken voice, speaks with them through a thick cloud, calls Moses up to the mountain, and there, etched by his own hand, are these ten words. Look with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 5, beginning with verse number 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods beside or before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. In visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord 
will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Let's look at this passage of Scripture and notice with me in verses 6 to 10 the two major commandments that we're going to deal with tonight. is number one, make the Lord your God first place. Make the Lord the priority of your life. That's what he says in verse number 7. You shall have no other gods beside me. As we look at that together, he's saying there should be none other but me. None other beside me, before me, in front of me, other than me. You're not to worship me and someone else. You worship and worship me only. First of all, he calls for an exclusivity in our relationship with him. He wants us exclusively to be his. And he says this because of his sovereign authority. Number one, it's he is the Lord God. Notice what he says. I am the Lord your God, verse 6, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The word that he uses there is the word I am, the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. The word Yahweh is the Old Testament name for God. It's sometimes translated Jehovah or I am or the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It is a most sacred name to all Jewish people. It is the name Yahweh. So sacred, they don't speak it out loud. And so as you look at this great sacred name, this is who I am. In the book of Exodus, remember the story how Moses is called by the Lord. And as he's uh, watching over his father-in-law's flocks and, uh, and he's been banished from Egypt. And here he is a uh, uh, a middle to older age man, and, and God meets with him. He sees a bush on fire. Remember the story? And he goes up and seeing why it's not consumed. And a voice speaks out of the bush. And he says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And the Lord begins to speak to Moses and said, I've heard the complaints and the, the heartache of your people and my people in Egypt for 400 years serving in slavery underneath Pharaoh. And he says, I'm raising you up to deliver my people out of Egyptian bondage and to become my people. In that dialogue between Moses and the Lord, Moses asked this question. The people are going to ask me, who is this God that appeared to you? What is his name? What shall I say to them? And this is what the Lord says. He says, thou shalt say to them, I am who I am. You want to know my name? It's I am. I have always been. I will always be. It's the verb to be. He says, I exist. I am. There's none like that is my name. You tell them, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am has sent me to you. And I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, your forefathers, before you went into Egypt. 
and he has sent me to you. And then you tell them this, this is my name, Yahweh, and forever it will be a memorial name for all generations. He says, I am the sovereign one. I'm the one who called Abraham. I'm the one that created this earth. I'm the one that created the stars. I'm the one that created the seas. I'm the one that created all of the creatures that are on the earth. I am. I always will be. I always have been. And you're to have no other God but me. This is exactly what Moses, the first of the Ten Commandments, means. No God beside me. No God before me. No God other than me. Monotheism is one of the great gifts of Judaism to all of us. There is only one God, and we're to serve him. Amen? Secondly, because of the perfect jealousy of God. Jealousy, pastor, that sounds like a, not a good thing to be jealous. Well, in a human point of view, often jealousy is not a good thing, but from a divine point of view, jealousy is a perfect thing and a good thing. Notice this jealousy of God. He says, I don't want you to make any idols. I don't want you to worship them. In verse number nine, he says, I am a jealous God, visiting of iniquity of the fathers on the children. He Notice in Deuteronomy, if you have your Bible, look with me to chapter number six, verse number 13. You shall fear or worship or reverence only the Lord your God, who, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he'll wipe you off the face of the earth. He says, the reason God is a jealous God for you, can listen, listen to me, listen. He's zealous for you. He desires you. He wants all of you. He wants all of you to serve him and to know him and to walk with him and to be his people. You know what he's saying? I want a relationship with you. And real love is exclusive in its love. He said, I don't want to share you with any other. I want you to be mine. That's God's jealous, perfect love for us. He doesn't want you pursuing empty gods. He doesn't want disloyalty toward him because you, if you're disloyal toward him, it will bring destruction to you. He loves you so much he doesn't want to see your life destroyed. God's not a harsh God, a hateful God, but he is a holy God. And he's calling you to a personal relationship with him. And he'll never share you. He loves you too much. He values you, loves you, pursues you, calls you, redeemed you. And he wants you to be devoted to him. None other but me. Amen? Thirdly, because of the singular nature of God himself. In chapter number 6, verse number 4, do you have your Bible? Look at it. This is 
something that the, all Israelites, Jews even today, recite every day of their life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. One God, one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand that they'll be frontals on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He says, I want you to remember every day that the Lord your God is one. And he, you are to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're to teach that in your home when you live your life to your children. And your children's children after them. You're to teach your, remind yourself every day about this relationship with him. He says, I want you to bind this truth on your arm. They take phylacteries and would bind them to their arm. And then I want you to have them like frontals on your head. You'll see little prayer boxes that even today, uh, certain Orthodox Jews will tie and bind to their forehead as they pray to the Lord. And you go into a Jewish home, you'll see a mezuzah. The mezuzah sits on the right-hand side of the door. As you walk through every doorway or entry, there will be a mezuzah. In that, on the inside of that little box, that mezuzah that's state, that is nailed to the inside of the door is a little piece of pars, parchment paper called a clath. And printed on that parchment, and sometimes the most minuscule print, is Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. And Deuteronomy 11, verses 13-21. It's a reminder that they belong to the Lord. Children and adults repeat this Shema three, at least three times a day. And they're covenanting to obey Him, that he is, he is the Lord, the Master of life. Do your children, this is the question, do your children see the Lord God as the priority of your life? Above everything else, no other God beside me? Or do they see other gods that rival the place that only God should have in your life? There was a Jewish family many years ago in Germany. The father was quite successful. He was a successful merchant in trade. And he moved from one town in Germany to another town in Germany. And when he moved to that different city, this Jewish man and his family, he said uh, to his family, we're not going to go to the synagogue to worship in this town. There's no Jewish population hardly here. But we'll go to the Lutheran church here. Because there's many Lutheran people here, and it's really good for our business to attend that church. So they started attending the Lutheran church, not because of any conviction they had, not because they believed in Christ, because they didn't, but because it was good for business. The young boy was 
never got over the hypocrisy of his own father and how his father fell in his own eyes. And he said, my father had no real convictions later as an adult. And he turned with a vengeance against all religion. And that boy's name was Karl Marx, who would write the Communist Manifesto. Your kids, your children know the priority of your life. They see it. Is it the Lord God? In John's Gospel, chapter 14, it says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 1 John chapter, 15, 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 says, By this we know that we love, we know love the children, as the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments, they are not burdensome. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Singular and different than any other. Elton Trueblood wrote years ago in his book called Foundations for Reconstruction, he wrote, the number one differs from all our numbers. Not in degree, but in kind. The step from two to three is relatively slight, but the step from one to two is enormous. A man who has two wives and a man who has three wives are in the same class. They're both polygamists. They're both able to divide their deepest affection, but they're both totally different from the man that because he cannot divide his affection, is wholly devoted to one wife. We preserve a fundamental insight in our grammar when we make the primary numerical distinction between singular and plural, no matter what the degree of plurality may be. There's more essential difference between one and two than there is between two and a million. You are to make the Lord your God only, number one in your life, exclusively to be yours. Amen? Fourthly, because of the redemptive claim of God himself. Notice in chapter number 5, verse number 6, he says, I'm the very one who brought you out of Egypt. I bought you, made you to be my own. In Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verse number 20, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what do these testimonies and statutes and judgments mean which the Lord God commanded you, and then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh and all of his household. And he brought us out of there, from there in order to bring us in to give us the land which he has sworn to our fathers. So the Lord 
has commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, for our survival as it is today. Amen. Verse number 25. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all of this, this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. My friends, the Lord has a right to say, worship me only. Because I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. I'm the one who paid for you. I'm the one that redeemed you. And I'm the one that owns you. You are my possession. Worship me only. Paul wrote it like this. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God. In your body. Amen. Lord loves you. He created you. And he redeemed you. Amen. There's a story about a little boy who. Was working on making a sailboat. And he. Worked in the shed behind the garage. And cut out with a saw. And his own. A little sailboat. And he'd make that little sailboat, and he put a little mast on it and a little sail. And then he, 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 he etched his initials in the bottom of the sailboat, took a little string and tied it to it and went down to the creek. And, and he was sailing his little sailboat, just imagining about that sailboat as he sailed it down the creek. And the string broke, and the sailboat got away, and he couldn't find it, and he lost it. Some days later, he was walking by a little shop there in town. There was a little general store, and there was a, like a pawn shop there. And sitting in the window was a little sailboat. And he said, that's my sailboat. And he went in, and he said to the owner, he said, uh, that boat in the window is mine. And he said, no, it's mine. He said, some little boy came in here and sold it to me, and I bought it. He said, well, how much is it? He told him. He ran home, got his piggy bank out, and broke it, and got as much out of it as he could, took it up to his store. And he, he handed it all over, and he put it on the counter, and counted out what it was to buy it. And then he bought that little sailboat, and got it in his arms. And he walked out of the store, and you could overhear him saying, Sailboat, you are doubly mine, because I made you, and I bought you. And that's what the Lord God says. I made you. And I bought you. And you're to worship me. And me alone. Amen? Amen. No other gods before me. It's essential in following Jesus Christ and worshiping him. Interesting story found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. One of the rich young ruler guys comes to Jesus and asks him some questions. He said, good teacher, he said, uh, what is it, what good thing should I do in order to obtain eternal life? And Jesus said, well, why are you asking me what is good and why are you addressing me as good? He says, there's only one who is good. 
But he said, if you wish to inherit eternal life, he said, then keep, command, keep the commandments. And this young man, uh, handsome, educated, fine young man, he said, well, which ones do I keep? And he said, you know the law. He said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbors yourself. And he said, I've done all of these things, and I've kept them from a youth. I've done what they teach. What more am I lacking? He said, well, here's one thing you need to do. You need to sell what you have. And give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the man was grieved and went away because he owned much property. Hmm. You see, here's the issue. This fine young man had kept a lot of the law and it wasn't the back half of the Decalogue that was the problem. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not bear false witness. But the essential problem missing in his life is that God wasn't first place in his life. And you can't follow Jesus Christ unless you have God first in your life. Number one in your life. No other gods but me. No other God beside me. Second point of this sermon today is that you are direct your worship and devotion to God only. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter number 5, you are to worship Him, fear Him only. Notice He says, you shall not make for you an idol, any likeness of something in heaven above or earth beneath or the water or under the earth, you shall not worship them or serve them. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He said, you are not to serve, worship any other thing but me. You're not to fashion an idol. You're not to form an idol. You're not to reverence an idol. You're not to worship an idol. What is an idol? I'm glad you asked. Anything that you make or fashion or construct, either in your mind or in your heart or physically, that takes the place that God alone demands in your life. We have idols in our hearts. Idols that have taken, that supplant the rightful place that is due to God only. It becomes the focus of your energy. It becomes the focus of your devotion. It becomes the focus of your loyalty. And you look to this to bring you satisfaction, to bring meaning to your life, purpose to your life, happiness in your life. And it's taken the place of a right relationship only through God. These are idols. Now, why are idols futile? <laughs> an idol can't answer your prayer. An idol can't fix you. An idol can't save you. Amen? Look, <clears throat> we're going to look at several passages of Scripture. In the book of Isaiah, do you have your Bible? Look in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 40. 
Isaiah chapter number 40. Listen to Isaiah as he exposed the futility, the foolishness, the stupidity of of worshiping an idol. This is what people of other cultures have done. And he points to Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse number 18, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman cast it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, a silversmith fashions chains of silver, and he who's too impoverished for such an offering, he goes out and gets a tree that does not rot. He seeks for himself a craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter, that won't fall over. (laughs) It's really bad when your God falls over and you keep having to prop him up. In chapter number 46, but you, we all laugh and giggle at it, but the idols of your heart are just as foolish. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse number 5, listen to what Isaiah said. To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we would be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse, weigh silver on a scale, hire a goldsmith, He makes it into a god. They bow down. Indeed, they worship it. They lift it up on a shoulder. They carry Honey, would you carry God? So he's carrying God. They set it in its place. They prop it up. It stands there. He does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. And it cannot deliver him from his distress. In your distress, you cry out to this God. He can't save you. That's the futility of idol worship. Isaiah chapter 44, just look over a few verses, uh, pages. Chapter 44, verse number 9. Those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile. Their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or to know so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Verse 12, a man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashion it with hammers, working with a strong arm. He also gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water. He becomes weary. Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line, outlines it with red chalk, works with planes, outlines it with a compass, makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of a man, that it may sit in his house. He cuts cedars for himself, takes a cypress or an oak, and he raises it among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir, and the rain makes it grow. He says he goes out and he cuts a piece of wood, he cuts cuts it for an idol, and he doesn't use all of it for an idol, so he uses the other part of it for his fire to warm himself or to bake his bread. How dumb. Part of that same tree is fuel, and the other part of the tree now becomes your God that you serve. It's the futility, it's the stupidity, it's the lostness of it all. My friends, we construct things like this. Pastor, what are some types of idols that we have? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. One of the titles that gets in the way for some of us is money, right? Greed is idolatry. We save money, invest money, make money, speak of money, spend money, make all you can, can what you get, sit on the can. We, we, it's all about the money, how much, we ought, how much other people make, worried about money. Money's not a very good God in your life. You worry about success, you worry about things, you worry about buying, you worry about how other people view you, that's an idol. You worry about your acceptance of others, about respect due to you. You worry about having intimacy or, or you worry about you, maybe the God of your life is your pleasure, your sensual pleasures, your sexual pleasures, your food pleasures. Paul said their God is their belly. They've made an idol of those sensual things. Some of you made an idol out of politics, an idol out of a political leader. God help us. We put them above the Lord our God. We're to respect leaders, we're to pray for leaders, we're to give honor to leaders, but you don't worship them. That was the problem when Israel wanted a king like all of the other nations. He said, you've rejected me and you want a king because you want to put a man in the place that I deserve. God wants to be the king of your life. Amen? So we construct these idols. Jesus talked about this. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 6. Do you have your Bible? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse number 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves can't break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, money, mammon. You can't. Jesus said, but I want you to do this. Rather than that, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. God will take care of you. Seek him first in your life. What's the idol of your heart? I couldn't tell you. You know. What do you worry about? What do you think about? What do you long for? If it's anything other than a personal relationship with God... Be very careful, my friend, that it doesn't become an idol in your own heart. What is the destructive downward spiral of idolatry? Idolatry, God doesn't, the reason he says this is he's saying, when you give yourself at abandoning me and adopting idols in your heart, 
what happens is it's a downward, downward, downward spiral of destruction in your life. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture today, and if it doesn't sound like we're reading today's paper, then you're just clueless. In the book of Romans, chapter number 1, Paul says in verse 18, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, is revealed, being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men because this is what they do and this is what idle, what happens in our hearts when we move away from serving God and we move toward idolatry. Number one, we suppress the truth in righteousness. We don't, we reject the truth. We reject it. A fool has said in his heart, no God. There's no authority. And that's what's happened in our culture, not just here. I'm not just talking about America. I'm talking about in this pagan fallen world. We have rejected God and his authority. And we've rejected and suppressed the truth. Now here's what happened. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. God is revealing and speaking through all of the created nature that he is and that he is worthy of our worship. Verse number 20, he's written it in the hearts of even sinful men. Verse number 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Their mind and their heart becomes dark. They professed to be wise, but they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures. Isn't it crazy, ironic, and so foolish and so revealing that we value creatures more than God? We value puppy dogs more than human life. It's not even logical, but our minds are darkened because of the sin in us. Notice what he says. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible for the image of an incorruptible man, of birds, full-footed animals, crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to what? Impurity. Not only do you become darkened in your mind and your thinking and your values, you're suppressing the truth, but it leads you to immorality. Now, this immorality shows itself in this craven lust of men who've rejected God. 
God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them over. Again, he says, I'm turning them over to degrading passions. Their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, men abandoned the natural function of a woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to what? Not only a darkened heart, but now a depraved mind. They don't even think right to do the things that are not proper. And they're filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval of those who practice them. They, talk, they call those who practice such things as good, and they want to cheer them and approve them. This shows the darkness of idolatry in our mind and our heart because in the end it leads you to be so polluted in your thinking that you call what is good evil and what is evil good. And this downward spiral starts with commandment one and two. You shall love no other God beside me. You shall not make an idol, but worship only me. Am I speaking the truth? It brings us to our hope. Pat, Brother Tim, where's the hope in today's message? I'm glad you asked. True worship is directed to God through Jesus Christ. Now, the only image that was made, the only thing made in the image of God was man, the first man and the first woman. But that image was marred because of sin. But God, in his sovereignty, sent the second person of the Godhead to take upon flesh and his name is Jesus. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law of God. And he will give us salvation and forgiveness of all of our sin. Because all of us are lawbreakers. How many of you all agree with me that we're all lawbreakers? How, that we're all sinners? Everybody that's a sinner, raise your hand. You agree with me? Yeah. The rest of you just lying. All right. We're all sinners. Now look with me to the book of Colossians, chapter number 1. Colossians, chapter number 1. 
beginning with verse number 15, concerning Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. You're not to make anything an image of anything, it says. But God made an image of himself that's perfect. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. By him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He rose from the dead. He himself will come and had to have first place preeminence in everything. For it's the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell in him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And He is Lord. Verse number 20. And he says, and it was the Father's good pleasure, verse 19, for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him, Jesus alone, to reconcile all things, all man that has fallen away from God, to reconcile all things to himself and having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. There's only one who can save fallen mankind. And that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because he died for your sins and he rose again. And he is number one in all the world. You'll have no other God but me. Jesus alone can save you. Amen? Amen. Take away questions tonight. Number one, is the Lord first place in your life? Only you can answer that. How would you answer that? Number two, is your love and devotion directed to the Lord? Is your love and devotion directed to the Lord? Is it? I don't, I don't have those on the screen tonight. But I, I want you to think of that question. Number three. Who or what do you look to or toward to find satisfaction and fulfillment? What is it that you want? Is it another person? Is it a relationship? Is that boyfriend? Is it a girlfriend? Is it a husband? Is it a wife? Your children? Your job? Your success? Your money? What, what, what is it that you're looking for to find satisfaction and fulfillment? Let me tell you what. If it's not the Lord, then you've moved toward idolatry. What is the thing that you worry about, stew about, that takes your emotional time and energy? Is it the Lord? To know Him, to walk with Him, to obey Him, to understand Him? Or is it something else? And finally, 
What do you most want God to do in your life? The question I want you to consider is, who, who is it that you desire to please more than anyone else? Paul said, it is our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing unto him. I want to live to please Jesus Christ above everything else. Is that you tonight? Is that you tonight? If not, then there needs to be a redirection of your life to his lordship. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you for the power of your word. It's true and it's powerful. Have your way in our hearts and our lives. Father, may we turn from our sin. May we repent. And Father, may we come back to you, worship you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.